As a small business owner, have you ever felt overwhelmed by the pressure of choosing the right hire or leading a team? Or have you ever found yourself tolerating a bad hire because you fear trying and failing again as you repeat the hiring process? If so, you're not alone and you are in the right place. Welcome to the Growing Your Team podcast. The Growing Your Team podcast teaches business owners like you to expand your unique business by teaching you to master the hiring and team management process. Hiring and managing a team does not have to be a challenge. You just have to learn to do it right. And the Growing Your Team podcast teaches you how to become a confident leader who hires right every single time. Now, let's jump into the show where each episode, you will learn tips on how to identify what type of help you need on your team, how to source amazing candidates, how to conduct interviews that lead you to your idea team member, how to onboard successfully, and how to lead every person in your business so you have a team of rock stars who you are happy to pay every single paycheck. So let's jump in and teach you how to hire like a pro. Hello, Jamie Van Kuyk here, and welcome back to the Growing Your Team podcast. Today, I have on guest Jennifer Lawrence. Jennifer is an operations consultant passionate about creating ease through systems, leveraging over 20 years of administrative and project management experience, she helps entrepreneurs and ambitious leaders develop highly customized and strategic solutions to solve their biggest people, processes, and technology pain points. However, in addition to systems, which I know we talk about on this podcast a lot, Jennifer has another passion and another way she helps businesses and that is through assessments. We also talk a lot about assessments on this podcast, how you should use them, when you should use them, and their role within hiring and leading teams. In today's episode, Jennifer is coming on to talk about two particular types of assessments and their benefits. You know, you're also going to get a peek into some of my results and not only just hearing about the results themselves, I share a little bit of insight about how I have noticed those results play out in both my personal and professional life. Another important thing that we talk about in this episode that is essential for you as a business owner if you want to bring assessments into your hiring process is knowing how to use them legally. While I talk a lot about the do's and don'ts of assessments throughout the hiring process, one thing that never came to my mind before speaking with Jennifer was the legal aspect of it. So if you are using assessments or plan on using assessments as part of your hiring process, you need to keep the legal aspect in mind. And if you don't know 
what I'm talking about, make sure you listen to the episode so you can get all the details. So let's jump into the episode and learn all about how you can use the DISC and the Colby assessment throughout your hiring and leadership process with your teams. Hi, Jen. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Growing Your Team podcast. Hi, I'm so excited to be here. Yes. Before we jump into today's conversation, can you kick us off with telling us a little bit about you and your business? Absolutely. So my name is Jen Lawrence. Um, I am an operations consultant and I help people with product. Uh, processes and productivity. Those are my two avenues of operations that I work with people on. So I primarily work with um, entrepreneurs on building out their systems and their processes to ensure that they are removing any barriers to success and getting over that hurdle of how that kind of gets in our way when we're working in our businesses, right? So many female entrepreneurs specifically will start a business and they just really get tied up in what they creatively wanted to do, right? Like I'm skilled at this, or I want to do this, whether you're a photographer, whether you're a recruiting consultant, whether you are, uh, you know, an accountant, and that's what you want to do. And then on the back end of that, you're like, oh, there's all this other stuff I have to do, right? I have to know how to do bookkeeping. I have to know how to hire a team. I have to know how to even just manage my projects. And maybe you're not a project manager. So I help them build their systems and their processes so that it supports their dream of what they're trying to achieve, but also works with them so that they can do it with ease. So yes. that's my tagline, creating ease through systems. Um, and I love, I absolutely love what I do. I've come from 20 years of administrative and project management background. So it has served me well um, in ensuring that people are enabled to just make their dreams come true. Yes. And I think processes are so very, very important. It's something we've discussed a lot on this podcast, especially when you're bringing in a team. How do things go from point A to point Z? when multiple people are involved? How do you make sure that you're not working harder to get things done when there's efficient ways to do things? And just remembering that yeah. just because you create a process today doesn't mean it's always the best way. And sometimes things need to be changed and improved upon as your business continues to grow. Absolutely. One of the things that I talk to a lot of uh, business owners about is embracing iterations, right? So a lot of people will say, well, I, I'm going to plan out this the service I'm going to deliver, right? Or thinking about service-based businesses specifically, they'll say, I'm going to do this service and this is the way I want my client experience to go. And I'm going to lay it out with these tools and then it's just going to go. And then they start getting into it and they get, they get frustrated because they thought it was perfectly designed. <laughs> and at some point you have to go back and I, I push the quarterly process review and every quarter you should be going through and looking at your, all your processes and making sure that they were working the way they were intended or responding to the new environment that you're, you're moving into. Maybe you're attracting clients that you didn't know you were going to be attracting, or maybe the tools have changed, right? That everybody gets those midday updates from their software that something suddenly has changed or your software suddenly can do something different. So having your processes regularly evaluated and just embracing that iteration, your processes and your systems are living, breathing parts of your day, whether you own a business or you work for someone else, right? That it's just a, a world that we live with that should be living. It's not a set it and forget it environment. Right. Exactly. It, it reminds me, I was doing a speaking engagement earlier this week for an entrepreneurship class. And so when I came in, they were wrapping up a discussion and it was obviously the day I was presenting, they were talking about teams and everything. 
And they were talking about the fear of someone coming in and wanting to make a lot of change. And are you going to be able to hire someone who's going to be able to do things like you? And when I went to go present, I was just like, all right, I just want to jump in and piggyback off the conversation that you guys were just having. And I was like, you know, everyone has this fear that no one's going to be able to do things just like them. And I was like, and you're right. No one is going to be able to do things just like you, but it doesn't mean that your way is the best way or the right way. It's just the process that you've been following. So sometimes when you bring in those other people, first processes need to change because someone else is brought in. And second of all, like they might help you see efficiencies and different ways that you weren't able to see because you were too in it. Absolutely. And it's, you know, getting back to a topic that is very prevalent today, diversity is not just of demographics, right? It's diversity of thought. And so diversity of thought inside of the way things operate inside of any processes is key to making the magic happen because having different perspectives, different cognitive skills coming in, different life perspectives, that's all going to change your systems. And that's not a bad thing. That's going to make things more efficient, more innovative, more creative. You're going to serve people in a way that you maybe not never thought of yourself before. Um, and you said something that totally pinged in my brain that I hear from entrepreneurs all the time is I need to hire someone and I just, I just need to clone myself. And that's the number one mistake that business owners can make, right? You don't need another you. <laughs> no, you're, you're the magic sauce of your business. Why would you want another you, right? You are unique and you are uniquely positioned in the marketplace because you are unique. So <clears throat> when you're looking for someone to support you, you want someone who has complementary skills in some areas and then hyper skills in areas where you either have blind spots or you just have never developed that skill set before or quite frankly you don't want to learn how to do that right like there's there's no shame in saying I don't need to be an expert at that at some point in my life like I, I say this all the time at the end of my life I don't want to say I was an expert in Instagram so I don't learn how to like battle the Instagram algorithm that is not a skill set that I'm working on where there are people who are wonderfully powerful in the social media marketing world, right? They love the data. They love, you know, playing with the algorithm and train. So for me, if I were hiring someone, I would want somebody who had a different skill set and maybe a different personality approach too, right? Like they, they may be more aggressive with the way that they do things, or they may be softer. It, it just kind of depends. But when you're hiring, you should never be looking to clone people inside of your business, because then you also run the risk of not only having redundancies, right? You have redundancies and skill sets, redundancies and personalities, but then you also run the risk of groupthink. And that is something that you never want in a business where you just have a bunch of yes men. And then that really stunts progress and development. And so that was a lot of information in one little paragraph, but um, you know, that's that it's that groupthink is really the big risk that a lot of people don't see is that you'll end up with a bunch of yes men and then you'll be stagnated and not really understand why. So, yes, yes, that was a lot, but there were so many good things. So many great things in there. Uh, a few things that I want to touch. And I also think it's a segue into what we're really here to talk about today. Yes. But the thing is, like you mentioned, there's things that just you shouldn't learn. You, you don't want to learn. And that's one of the things we talk about all the time is one of the signs to hire is that you're lacking a skill or knowledge in your business and it's no longer worth your time to learn it. As you mentioned, Jen, early in the conversation, like not only are you doing what you love, that serving the clients or creating your products or all that, you're then doing all this other backend business stuff. And at first you have to do it because at first you need to have a basic level of some of this information. You can't 
afford to hire someone. So you need to do maybe your bookkeeping on a basic level and these things. But there comes a point where your time is more valuable than the money it's going to cost to hire somebody to do that for you. And if you hate bookkeeping, why are you going to hire someone just like you to do bookkeeping? No, you need to hire someone that's passionate about that, who has the skills over there because we're good at what we do. And there's a lot of things that we're not good at and, and everything. So I think that is super, super important. Yeah, absolutely. And it's something that um, the other way that I look at it too, just in case anybody needs another angle to look at this from is by hiring other people, you're also enabling their dreams to come true as well. So if you're sitting here saying, I can just do it all and you're struggling and you're like, oh, well, you know, bookkeeping doesn't take that long. There is somebody who is doing bookkeeping as their main form of income. So you also could be supporting somebody else's dream by hiring out that work if you are financially um, in the position to do so. So it's kind of that whole, like when you open your door, leave the door open behind you. Um, it's that whole idea that you can empower and enable somebody else's business dreams as well. Yes, yes, exactly. Like one of the things I say is, you know, if you want to make an impact on the life of others, one of the ways you can do that is hiring. Mm -hmm. You know, you can help someone keep a roof over their head and food on their table because you're providing them an income. So we really have a lot of this power of what we can do to help others with our business. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So let's segue into one of the topics that we're going to talk about, which I feel like there's so much we can talk about here, but it's personality tests, assessments, and all that fun stuff that I know people are always wondering, should I use these during the hiring process? How do I use them effectively? What are they? What do they actually tell me about people? How do I use them in everything that's there? And one of the things that I always say when people ask if they should use it during the hire process, I always tell people, well, if you're going to use it, you need to use it right. So make sure you're working with someone because too many people use these personality tests to eliminate their idea candidate because they don't know what they're looking for. Or once again, they're looking for someone that has results that are just like them instead of what's actually going to work for that role. Absolutely. And you just like cracked open Pandora's box, right? Like right. there's so much. And I love what you started there with is if you're going to use it in the hiring process first, let's make sure we're using it the right way. Right. And so one is working with someone who is hopefully certified um, and knows, knows the, the theory and the principles behind the assessments inside and out and how to properly leverage them. Also, too, is making sure that you are using it throughout the rest of your team. Like, don't be using the assessment in the recruiting or the hiring process, but you have no one, you have no one to gauge it against, right? So, like, if you don't even know your results or the rest of your team's results, then why are you even using it? Um, but, too, and also making sure that if, if you're using it with the rest of your team, it's actually part of the culture. It's kind of a bummer if you have to take all these assessments and then you get in and then you never see your results at work. Um, and these assessments are designed to work work, right? They're designed to give you language to center your culture around, help you communicate, help you collaborate, um, and do all of that better. And so if you're not utilizing it inside your team, then why are you utilizing it as part of the hiring process? How is that somehow a gauge or a measure or even additional insights that you're looking for if you don't even know how you're going to utilize those insights? Um, but yes, and also 
targeting specific results is dangerous. Um, it's actually a game that you, you don't want to play because in some states it can be deemed discriminatory to say that we're only going to hire, for example, if you're using the disc assessment, we're only going to hire Ds for our sales positions is actually discriminatory language. So um, in some states, regulatory wise, you don't want to be doing it that way. But also um, people put these assessments aren't foolproof either because they're kind of whatever people tell you or whatever people are revealing to you is what's going to come out of the assessments. A lot of assessments have ways to make sure that you're not being fooled by somebody's results, but to just measure it based off of some, these are really just to provide additional insights. They're great and they're amazing. And you can get very, very quality insights out of them, but there are ways to fool the system. So if you are eliminating ideal candidates based off of their results, then you're, it's a misuse on both sides. Yes. Yes. You know, and it is one of those things I remember when we talked about before, you made comment about like in some states, it's discriminatory to, you know, if you're using these tests improperly. And that was something that I had never thought of. And I train my clients all the time on things they, they can and cannot do in the hiring process to avoid the possibility of discriminating or having that illusion of discrimination in their hiring process. And I never thought of higher of, of personality assessments like that never even crossed my mind. So I feel like that is that's so important you know, to know is that when you're using these wrong, you could really be using them wrong and putting yourself in big trouble. And right. and I have a current client right now that they just went through a lot of the assessments with their team and now they're hiring for a new team member. And they may comment, they're like, well, should we do an assessment during the hiring process? And we kind of talked about what that looked like. And I was like, all right, but at the end of the day, you still need this person to take an assessment really before they join your team, even if it's like on day one, because if your rest of your team all has this and you're using it, you can't have this new person not having this assessment and not be a part of those conversations and everything. So that is like a good point of like, you got to make it so it's everybody. So it's everybody. And it's interesting talking about like the timeline of when, right? I get that question a lot. Like when is the right time to have them do the assessment? And I always just a little bit of feedback for people is sometimes utilizing it somewhere in the middle or at the end of the hiring process. You don't ever want it to be the first thing somebody fills out because that's just starting people off on the wrong foot, right? Like let's have a conversation, let's build a relationship first and then let's have the assessment. The other thing that assessments are really good for is if you have a longer hiring timeline for whatever reason, based on your recruiting schedule, the meeting schedule, if you have other um, you know, performative skills assessments worked in there is that you can use a personality assessment to buy yourself some time, right? It's another touch point with the, with the candidate that then you can say, oh, okay, well, next up, you're going to have to take your Colby assessment or whatever it needs to be um, just to buy yourself a little time. I've heard of people kind of positioning in it based on that because it's something that the candidate's going to fill it out within 24 hours. Hopefully the candidate will respond really quickly. So then you can use it, utilize it anywhere in your timeline, but never make it the first thing they do. Never. Right. Yeah. And it's also one of those things, if you look at it, if it's the first thing that they're doing, and I see this a lot is either you're using free assessments that really aren't mm -hmm. telling you too much or you're going to be spending a lot of money to give candidates assessments that you never plan on hiring because you could have eliminated them during that first interview. That's a great point too, right? These assessments, the good ones aren't cheap. 
right? The the disc that ever that everything disc from Wiley is eighty one dollars retail. So unless you make a, a deal with a certified consultant and somehow get it cheaper, um, it's eighty one dollars. Another one that I use often is Colby, and that one's fifty five dollars. Like these add up. So making sure that it's at least your top three candidates, that is definitely the time to assess. Don't have anyone and everyone taking an assessment. That's going to rack up some huge fees. Right. Yeah. Cause $81 or whatever it is per candidate, isn't that big a deal when it's your top two, top three, when it's 20 candidates, that's a big number. And yeah, we, that's we don't need to be spending that money number. on candidates that you're never going to hire anyway. No. And one of the things that I also encourage people going back to making sure that you're not possibly opening the door to get deemed for discrimination is doing the assessment before your last conversation with the candidate, because you never want anyone to think, well, my disc assessment came out that I was a C and they're probably looking for an I style. And that's why I got eliminated or that's why I wasn't offered the job. So if you allow yourself to have an additional one-on-one -on -one touch point with the candidate after they've completed their assessments, not even to talk about their assessments, but just to have an additional conversation to wrap up the interview process. Um, that will also save you from ever being accused of misusing them. So just a little tip there too, that I wanted to let everybody know. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know if this is true. So correct me, but this is something that I was told at one point in time is because we're people that learn how to adapt sometimes to our environment, that there's things that can come out on the assessment that maybe that's how you operate at home, but you've learned how to mitigate it or not let it impact you in the office. So sometimes having those additional conversations and maybe um, what we've done before when I've worked with someone who was working with a consultant that uh, helped them with these assessments before that last conversation, we crafted some interview questions around some of these areas where we're like, let's explore this a little deeper now that we have this information to see how do they handle this in the work environment? Is this a hindrance? Is it something that they're fine with? You know, How is this actually going to manifest in the workplace? Yeah, absolutely. And it's mostly um, when it comes down to how you behave under stress. So when we, when we are stressed, we tend to lean harder into our natural preferences and our natural styles. And sometimes that can be a hindrance based on what is required of you in your job. So I think that's really smart to, to craft those questions. But yes, at home, you also behave differently, right? You have a different level of psychological safety. You have a different um, emotional bandwidth that you're allowed to explore, right? We're allowed to yell curse words at home. You can't yell that in the middle of an office, right. those sort of things. So our self-management tools are different at home. And so exploring how they utilize self-management in the workplace is super important. But also if you're using these assessments correctly, you can also create um, tools for management to help their employees during times of stress too. For instance, um, Jamie, I'm going to bring up your results real quick. Um, so I had Jamie, I had Jamie take the everything disc assessment and the Colby assessment. The everything disc assessment is a personality. Most people are familiar with this. This is the one that's the D, I, S, and C. Um, so she took the everything disc personality assessment, but the Colby assessment measures how your brain works naturally. So it's not a personality assessment. It's called what we call a conative assessment. So Jamie, if I were managing you, your conative assessment came out as an 8912, which means you need a lot of information. You need a lot of structure to your work. Um, when it comes to taking risks, you, you 
side on the air on the side of caution. Um, and then as far as what you need in a physical environment, whether you can visualize things in your in your head or whether you need physical tools, you are much more in your head. So you're an eight nine one two. If I were managing you and we were heading into a very 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 stressful environment, I would sit down with you and say, what processes do you need in place and what information do you need from me to get through this? I would give you my undivided attention to help you build out what you need. And that would be a management tool from me to lead you through the stress so that you don't spiral. So when you're utilizing these tools correctly, those it kind of directs the conversation. It helps you mitigate any risk. It helps you help your team members advocate. There's a lot of bonuses to assessments and I could go on and on and on and on. But um, when you're utilizing them correctly and gathering that information, you can kind of navigate the differences between home and work. That's what I was kind of getting into is you can help people through that process um, and make informed management leadership decisions as well. Yes. Yes. I think that's like super important. And I'll just like, we'll get a little bit more into my results. But one of the things I want to say is when I was first you know, brought into the world of assessments, we actually did the disc profile and everything um, when I was in corporate. And it was just like this amazing, like light bulb that went off where I was just like, I was then able to have better conversations with my team because I knew what they needed in those conversations. And it changed things yes. dramatically. But what you said you found in like my, my assessment is that is 100% true. Like I, I say all the time, I'm just like, I need to be able to see the path. I need to know what that process is. I need to be able to get there and then we can go through it and I can handle with challenges that come up. But if I can't, if I, like, I'm not the type of person that's like, we're going to figure out our way as we go along. I'm just like, no, 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 no. We have to have this plan in place and I'm flexible. It can change, but this plan needs to be there. Um, this one, it's a personal story, but one of the things I always like to bring up is there was one time we were going away with a bunch of friends and I sent out an email a few days ahead of time. I was like, guys, I'm really stressed out because we have no plans yet. Other than like, we were going to Epcot at Disney for the food and wine fest. And our plan was just, we were going. And um, some of our friends were actually <laughs> running one of the races. And I was just like, I need to put this itinerary together for myself. You guys can say no, we can change things. I don't care about change. I'm just like, but I, this, I am stressing out right now because there is no plan. And, and like some of those things. So I created, I was like, we're going to go to dinner. I made this reservation, the reservation, we could cancel up to this amount of time ahead of time. If we want, then we're going to go do this and we're going to do that. And like, just putting it out there, it made me feel so much better. We followed probably about 50% of it. And I was okay with that at the end, but I needed to see that. What was the plan? What was the possibility I drive my husband crazy with this all the time when we go on vacations where he's just like, let's just go with the flow. And I'm just like, well, on this vacation, we want to do this. We want to do that. We want to do that. All right. Well, we need to know what times can we do these? What days can we do these? We can't say we're going to hang out and do nothing for three days and then try to cram everything into the last two days because that's going to be stressful. So it's like having that itinerary, having that plan. And once again, like, I'm okay with things changing, but you got to have that plan or I'm going to be so stressed out going into everything. And that's so interesting because, and I, I love this because I know this about you just from your results. And it's it's the creating a framework or even guardrails to live within, right? Like the plan can change, but I need to know that there we have 
our line of sight on what all are the possibilities and we've whittled them down to what is a must do and maybe do and that we're you know not showing up to a restaurant and it's not even open on Sundays that sort of thing right um but then also what's what's interesting about your results is I don't want to get too far ahead on this um but the, the with your results and knowing this about you what people pro often probably misjudge about you is that you are all about sticking to the plan right and that this is a preference right that Jamie likes the plan that Jamie Jamie likes creating a plan that Jamie enjoys a plan and the reality is is when we're talking about your conation right we're talking about what you actually need and so that's the difference between these two assessments and it's why I have often have people do both of them. And this is why it's really important to understand the assessments you're using, what data they're measuring and how they're meant to be applied because the DISC assessment only tells me what you value and what you like and what you want. But the Colby assessment tells me what you need to function. So if I were to take you somewhere, I, I already knew that if I wanted to throw you into a tailspin, I would throw you into a brainstorming session and I would give you very, very limited information and say, give me some ideas, go. And you would immediately be like, but I have, I have questions and how are we going to use this? And, and what's the context and who's involved? You would immediately start firing questions. I'd be like, no, 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 just tell me ideas. And you would literally start to palpitate. Like it would, <laughs> there would your brain would start misfiring. Um, and so there and is I a big I would say that's true. Right? I've been in those types a, of situations. It's not fun, right? And so that's as, as leaders, you never want to do that to people on your team unless you're crazy. Um, but you don't ever want to, cause undue stress to your team members. And that's why knowing the assessments, what they are meant to measure, how they are meant to be used is critical to bringing them into your culture. Because if I just looked at your results and I said, okay, yeah, okay, great. You're Colby. I see you like a lot of information. You like to build systems. Great. You'll be our systems builder. It'll be fine. It'll be great. You're, you're going to put all the policies together. And then the next time we have a conversation, I throw you into a brainstorming session with no regard with how that's going to happen to you. Then you're not utilizing the assessments correctly. It's really not um, that's not the intent of them. And it actually can do more harm than good. Instead of creating a culture of belonging, you can actually create a, a culture where people feel really misunderstood. Um, and this gets into a lot of other issues that we talk about with assessments, which I'm sure we're going to talk about. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No, but it just reminded me, and this had nothing to do with assessments, but it was like with leading teams and everything. I remember asking some of my team members at one point in time, I was like, what do you really like about your job and what are the tasks in your job that that you hate, that you do it right now because you have to, but you don't like? And I had team members, it's like, I don't want to tell you that I hate part of my job. And I was just like, I'm not telling you that you're not doing part of your job, a part of this conversation. That's not about this. I was like, but I want to know what are you doing just because you have to do and it doesn't light you up because if we're going to talk about opportunities for advancement, if we're going to talk about projects, if we're going to talk about any of that stuff, and you want to go into a position that then is 75% of what you hate, maybe we should have a conversation around that, how that's not the right path for you. And you really need to explore that and maybe go over here instead. So you don't end up saying, well, I thought this was the next step and now I'm miserable. Or if I could put you on a side project and it's project A or project B and project A is going to stress you out every day, I'm not going to put you there. I'm going to put you on project B that has more of what you love. So it's like figuring out those things of like, yes, how do you use what the information you know about your team to benefit your team? So that way they're happy and they succeed and everything.
Yes. I love that. And it's such a powerful conversation, right? Just talking, being honest about what you do and do not like doing, right? There are things that I'm very good at that I absolutely hate doing, right? I don't like doing it. So I try not to do it, right? But so many people think that if they say they don't like even a small task in their job too, that it's somehow going to make them seem like they're not equipped to do their job or they're not a team player or they're not suited for this company or whatever it may be. And the reality is, is a lot of times managers can just use that information to inform them on career advancement opportunities or projects or expanding their role or reallocating tasks to some, maybe somebody else on the team absolutely thrives doing the tasks that you hate. And maybe it's not perfectly encapsulated in the way we've bucketed the jobs, but it makes sense to move it to the other person. That allows a lot of dialogue to happen when you start being honest about what you do and do not like and what you are good and what you're not good at. Yes. Yes, exactly. All right. So anything else you've noticed in my assessments that we should dive into? Yeah. So, okay. So I love, I loved your assessment results. Um, one of the things that happens often um, that we talk about with assessments and misuse of assessments, I said we were going to talk about this, right, is yeah. that people use assessments to diagnose. They say, okay, Jamie, you're a disc result. You're a CD. First of all, error number one, you are not a CD. You have a CD style, right? So you have a conscientiousness and dominance style. That doesn't mean that you don't have the ability to influence and be sociable or care about the team. Just means your priorities land further into the CD style. So what happens a lot, and I see this more with um, other assessments that give you cute monikers. Um, you'll notice that none of the assessments I've mentioned use monikers. So um, if you take the PI, the predictive index, sorry, if you take predictive index, they give you a moniker. You're the guardian, you're the altruist, you're the maverick. Or um, if you take Enneagram, right, you're the people pleaser, you're the whatever it may be. Um, any of those tools, what ends up happening is instead of helping you start a dialogue, you end up diagnosing people and making judgments based on what you have assumed about that assessment, right? So one of the dangers of assessments is this whole diagnosis instead of dialogue. If you're not working with someone or you have not been properly trained or you haven't gone down the rabbit hole yourself to learn about assessments, you do run the, rest, the risk of having your biases soaked into how you interpret the assessment and you start diagnosing people. Um, so it's really important to understand that because as a CD, one of the words that we use for CD styles um, is skepticism. And so I have actually heard someone say, well, this person on my team, they're a CD and they're just a total skeptic. Everything they do, they question everything I do. And even in that tone, you can hear that there's this very negative relationship with this style. Um, I've even had somebody who came back who had a CD style and they fought me on it. They're like, I am not a CD style. This is not like this. I feel like I'm going to get in trouble at work because this is my result. There's this whole negative association with it. So I really feel for C's, uh, C style people because they like, for some reason have gotten this like bad rap. <laughs> like being skeptical is not a negative thing. We need skeptics in this world. We need people who are constantly asking questions. Um, and 
so you are a CD style and it's very interesting the way that plays in your results because of what you do for a living, asking all of those questions and being incredibly thoughtful, being careful, making sure the accuracy level is remarkably high, right? And the output has to be the best that we can possibly do. Um, a lot of C styles are often told that they're not team players, and that's not true. A lot of C styles, they are team players. They just prefer their team to be incredibly well equipped. So, if right. they, <laughs> <laughs> um, and so they they tend to have an issue with people who project a lack of competence. That's a nice way of saying that they struggle with people they think are stupid. So if if people make repeated errors. C-styles tend to just not want to work with them because they feel like it brings down the quality of their work. That's not really a bad attribute to have, to be honest with you. Now, if you're coming from a, a perspective of writing people off and be like, well, I'm not going to work with you anymore, that for C-styles, if you're having that reaction, that what you should lean into is how do I train this person so that they can stay on my team and then I can help them. Um, but having people who focus on the accuracy of the results is not horrible thing. Now with yours, you're also, so you're a C style, but you're also, you've got that D in your results. And that means you also like not only the challenge, but you like producing results. There has to be a conclusion. There has to be the answer has to come out. And it's really interesting because as I looked at your Colby results, I compared to your conation, um, being a nine in follow through, being a nine in creating a system, checking things off the list is a super high priority for you. It has to be done. Completion has to be there. So for you, when you look at your personality results and your conation results, um, you have a desire to produce produce results, but you also have an underlying need to produce results. So when people say, when I see this from someone, a self-advocacy tool you can use both to, let's talk about procrastination and stress management first, from a procrastination stress management place to get yourself over that hump of overwhelm or feeling like you're drowning is to cross anything off the list. Go if you, if you know you have to do laundry, just go start the load of laundry. If you have to send that email, just send the freaking email, right? Just start crossing things off the list. But from a motivating factor, you will actually bolster your motivation by crossing things off the list. You will actually, it'll actually give you more energy to be done, to mark it off, to move forward. Um, so if somebody is impeding your ability to cross something off the list, a way to self-advocate is to go to them and say, okay, what can we do that either needs to just flat out be removed or what can we prioritize so that we can get it done so that we can move forward? And being able to have that language, I need to finish this. When you start talking about your Colby and things that are showing up in both reports, I want people to start using the word need. Um, when somebody tells you they need something, it's very hard to argue. It's very hard to argue with someone. Um, and so that's Utilizing these results and working with somebody who understands them gives you that ability to say, okay, what's a want, what's a need, what might change over my lifetime, what might not change. Um, but I loved your results because of what you do. You're so talented. Um, and like I said, I said this earlier to you off, off, uh, off recording, but you are so well equipped to do what you do um, just naturally. So yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah, it is one of those You're things, right. like, especially hearing you say that, like, I do see 
so much of what you say, like in what I like, how I operate and all that stuff. You know, you mentioned that skepticism and I would say it is 100% true in a lot of ways where it's that skeptical thing. But to me, I'm going to ask those questions to figure out is this really what we should be doing? It's not to say, no, like this is a stupid idea. It's like, I just don't have the facts yet to understand it. So like, help me, help me figure it out. Give me those details and everything. And I want to make sure we have those details before we make a decision. Cause I, I need that. I need to make sure it's a sound decision for me with my clients. One of the things that I often help them with is a fear around hiring. They're, they're scared to pull the trigger. They're scared because they've been burned in the past that mm. they don't want those mistakes to happen again. So I'll always say, well, let's look at the facts that are there. It's okay. It's good to be skeptical because you want to make sure it's the right decision. You're putting a lot of money into hiring this person, putting a lot of time into training them. Let's make sure it's the right decision. Okay. These are still the gaps that we have. Well, let's figure out how to close these gaps. We're going to, but we need to figure out what we're stressing out about, or it could be, we've already covered this. We've already talked about this with the candidate. They've had this, their reference checks came back and said this, like, we have the information there. So it's that, that is sometimes helping them deal with like the own skepticism and everything that comes up in that process, because there is, and I know how to use the facts and details around that, or know how to figure out how do we gather it. It's like with a candidate, I always say like, we got it, we got to dig in. It's kind of playing that game of detective with the information you have and, and looking at everything in this bigger picture type thing. And, and not being swayed because someone has a great personality, like during that first interview, it's like, can they actually do the job? You're not the easily job? sold, Jamie. You are yes. not easily sold. <laughs> so, yep. No, it is. It is so interesting how if you utilize assessments well, and um, I, I obviously favor different ones. There, there are assessments out there that are great and they're fun and and they're they're fun conversation starters. Um, but the, the benchmark that I typically use for people is that if you see a lot of marketing around the assessment, telling you what type of Disney princess you are, chances are that that assessment is not one that you should be utilizing inside your culture. Um, and the reason for that is because the data around really good, hearty assessments is so complex. Like there's no way for me to tell you what Albert Einstein's disc result was because he never took it. Right. Like, so it's, it's. I, I had my husband, I've known my husband since we were 14 years old and I had him take both of these assessments. And it was very surprising to me what comes out on the outside His his your disc or your personality assessments will show more of what comes out on the outside, right? I can kind of see what stresses you out because I see how you react. I can see what you get engaged in or how you interact with me and all that. But when it comes to other assessments like the Colby, that's all stuff that happens in your brain before you even have an opportunity to think about it. So having these assessments that really are down in the data and they're, they're very deep and they're very psychologically, neurologically based are the best tools to make sure that you're not tripping up yourself as a manager, as a leader, as a business owner, but also then not tripping up your team and your team isn't misusing them. Um, so when you're kind of bringing them into your team, just making sure that you're utilizing them in the best way possible. But again, I, I'm kind of like giving you like the, the caveats, right? The things that these can unlock is incredible. Like being able to create that culture of belonging. That's like the big thing is the creating the culture of belonging, having seamless communications, properly pr- planning out projects or even job roles and having really, um, 
solid conversations with people. We always talk about crucial conversations. Um, some people call them courageous conversations. Jamie, because I know your disc style and your Colby, I would know how to approach you if I have to deliver d difficult news or have a difficult conversation with you, especially from a performance standpoint or a job role change standpoint. I would know how to approach you in a way that's not going to throw you into a tailspin. So there's a lot of really good that comes from assessments when you use them correctly. Um, and I love them. And I'm always happy to talk to people about them. Yes. Yes. That's great. Yeah. It is it, to me, it's like so eye-opening. And one of the things I remember, and now this isn't directly to do with assessments, but I think there's a lot in this that can happen in the corporate space, happen in the small business space is I just remember being in, I think my senior year of high school, taking a class and finally in, learning, really learning what introvert versus extrovert was. And to me at that point in time, it was so eye-opening to be like, why am I trying to be like an extrovert when I am 100% an introvert? And, but to yeah. me, I would look at is like, but I'm not like them. How do I be like them? And at that point in time, it was kind of that flipping. It's like, I don't need to be like them. I need to be the best that I can be in the person that I am. And I think a lot of it happens in business as well as we look up to these people, we see people that are succeeding in their role. We see other business owners and everything. And we want to have what they have and what we really want is kind of maybe like their success, the, these successful businesses, this image of stability and all these things. So then we try to mirror them. We try to copy them. And for some people that just doesn't work because then you're going 100% against who you are. Like, yeah. for example, I know there's some of that pushes of kind of like the bro marketing as it was called oh. like a few years back. I think and I'm just like, <laughs> oh, that's so not me. But there's other people that jump into that and thrive into that like right away. And it's really once you learn more about your yourself, you can create the business that you need to be happy and survive and have the team that supports you because they fill in those gaps. They complement your style. They work with your style. You know how to work with them. And you're creating that cohesiveness that you and your business needs instead of trying to copy what's worked for somebody else, because you're not yeah. the same as them. Absolutely. You know, we, we, however, it's ever wrapped up about like your secret sauce, right? But one of the things is that people can smell inauthenticity from a mile away, right? So one of the things that I struggled with when I first started is I talk about stuff that's kind of boring, right? I talk about systems and processes and like nobody wants to talk about SOPs. That's not sexy. Like everyone wants to talk about sales and marketing and, you know, all that good stuff. So what I was trying to do when I first started my business is emulate that, like, let's hype it up. I'm going to be like your cool systems chick. And God, I failed so miserably, right? I didn't lean into what actually people hire me for. And so I finally got to a point where I was like, I'm, I'm just going to unapologetically be who I am. And I'm not that hype chick, right? If you come to me and you're like, I have a business problem, I'm not going to be like, hey, you can do it. I'm like, no, I'm not going to cheerlead you on when I do speaking engagements. I don't go up there and like pump up the crowd. That's not my thing. But if you come to me with a business problem, it's going to feel like a therapy session because I'm going to be your best friend. And I'm going to say, okay, let's break this down. How can we work through this? And that is why people work with me, right? And so when you lean into what people 
are going to be attracted to you about one, you get to operate in a place that is super genuine. And let me tell you, it is so much less stressful. It is like, it is so much easier to run a business and operate with a team and engage with others when you can just show up as yourself. Um, but then it also then attracts clients that you really want to work with, right? Like I've never asked of things from my clients that I know I can't deliver on. The imposter syndrome feeling just plummets to the ground. So I will say there is an assessment though that you can take. I always have assessments in my back pocket and it's called the fascinator assessment. Um, and I'll, I'll send you the link so that you can put it in the notes. Um, and it tells you what you naturally attract people to from your natural personality. So for me, mine is trust and power. So if I establish a level of trust with people and I, I exude a level of authority, authority and power and knowledge, um, that is what people are drawn to for me. So they're not drawn to me being a hype chick and a cheerleader and me being outgoing or whatever. They're actually drawn to my knowledge and I'm okay with that, right? That's what I, that's my comfortable space. That's, you know, I can list off all of these things to help you. And that's really where I feel best about myself. So it really does. That's a great assessment. If you are struggling with this, I'm trying to be someone I'm not, that is a great assessment to really ground yourself in who you are naturally and what you bring to the table. In addition to these other assessments as well. Love it. Yeah. I'm curious about that one. I, I feel like I want to take that one to find out what it is. Cause I, I feel it's, it's like I'm figuring one. it out, but it might help a little bit more as a uh, move forward with the business. So anyway, I feel like we've gone way over what I normally do for time-wise, but this has been great. I'm loving all this. So Jen, how can people get in touch with you? If they're like, I need these assessments in my life. I need to figure this out. Or they just need help with their systems and everything. I said, just, that's not, that's a big thing. Your systems and processes are a huge thing in your business. Just get help it. there. But if you need help with that portion of your business, how can people get in touch with you, Jen? Absolutely. The best and easiest place to find me is at my website. So at generositypartners.com. So that's generosity, the word with a J, hot because I'm clever. So generositypartners.com. There you can find all of my service listings. I have a shop full of downloads, lots of free downloads, but also paid downloads for resources for building and optimizing your systems, as well as links to take the everything disc workplace assessment and the Colby A index. And I am certified in both. So if you do take it through me, you have the opportunity to book a 45 minute profile review with me and you'll be working with someone who is in it. So that is the best way to reach me. I'm also on LinkedIn. Jen, I actually somehow got the handle Jennifer Lawrence. I guess the actress didn't need a LinkedIn page. Um, so I have the handle Jennifer Lawrence on LinkedIn. I also have a Generosity Partners page on LinkedIn as well. Awesome. Well, all those links will be in the show notes over at growingyourteam.com. All right. Thanks so much, Jen. One final question before we wrap up today. We have all had leaders or managers that have stood out to us, whether that's someone we cross in our professional life or our personal life. So think of a leader or manager that had stood out to you and share one thing about them. I had a manager uh, early, well, not early, pretty early in my career, and he was all about self-driven development. So he would always ask me, where do you want to learn? What do you want to grow into? And he never questioned what I, what I said. So as an exec, at the time I was an executive assistant, it wasn't common for executive assistants to understand finances. Um, that was just kind of, we weren't budget managers, but I really knew that I needed to learn how to do budgeting and all that. And so he partnered me up with our, our 
our financial manager for our department and made sure that I was trained. And then when I wanted to learn about project management, he enrolled me in project management stuff. And he was always a facilitator of my learning and development. And I'm forever grateful for him just letting me drive what I wanted to learn, but then also making sure that that came to fruition. Yes. I love that. And it kind of goes back to a lot we talked about. It's like really knowing what lights up your team and being able to help them have those opportunities versus pushing you into something that you didn't like. I know it didn't it probably exist back then, but making you do their Instagram marketing and when you're like- right, Or, or no- pigeonholing them, right? He never said to me, well, you're just an assistant. Why do you need to know that? That was never part of the dialogue. And so if you have a graphic designer that wants to know about the finances, then just let them know about the finances, right? You never know where that may lead. A lot of the things that I learned under his leadership and under his tutelage, um, you'll you'll see my business today. Yeah. It's one of those things. My first job out of college, I worked as a part-time receptionist at an ad agency because I was like, I want to go into advertising. I have no idea what part of advertising I want to go into. And the my boss that was there, like I only worked two and a half hours a day, Monday through Friday. She would have me sometimes come in earlier and schedule me sit lists with other departments, be able to work on uh, projects with them. Some projects that I could do while I was sitting at the front desk in those evening hours, other ones that I was coming in and getting extra hours for, because her whole thing was, let's help you learn what you wanted to do and where I was leaning towards when I first got that job and where I went, ended up like afterwards was completely different because she gave me those opportunities to explore and learn what was out there. The best gift you can give anyone you ever interact with is knowledge. It is the best gift you can give them. Yes, 100%. All right, Jen, thank you so much for joining us today on the Growing Your Team podcast. You're welcome. It was a pleasure. Are you getting ready to hire and you wrote a job posting for your open position, but now you're left wondering, will it attract the right candidates? Hiring isn't as simple as telling people that you're hiring and having your perfect candidate show up ready to fill the role. Hiring just doesn't work that way, especially in the current market. The best candidates only apply to the positions that appear to be the right fit for them. If they don't find a connection between their job wants and your job posting, they'll skip over and go to the next opportunity. And in many cases, the reality is it's not the job isn't what they're looking for. It's not the job posting just didn't hit the mark. So is your job posting helping candidates see that your opening is right for them? Or is it turning candidates away for all the wrong reasons? Let's find out. I am currently offering Will Your Job Posting Attract the Right Candidates audit. Through this audit, I will review your job posting And I will tell you what's working and what needs to change so you can attract your idea candidates. So if you want your job posting reviewed by an expert before it goes live, or if you have a job posting that just is not hitting the mark in the current market, sign up for an audit. Let's review it and make the changes needed so you can attract your perfect fit team member. Because remember, You can't hire a candidate who never applies for your job. And most candidates won't apply if they don't feel connected to the job posting. So let's make sure you have a job posting that will attract all the right candidates and help you make this hiring journey easier. Go to growingyourteam.com slash audits 
and sign up for your audit today. Once again, that's growingyourteam.com slash audit.